You know what I mean? We don't see those examples enough. What again, what are examples that they see every day? They do they see people that look like them getting killed. They're seeing people that look like them getting racially profiled. They're seeing people that look like them go through systemic barriers. Mm-hmm. Right? Very hard to stand there and not have someone that looks like me tell me to change and get to where I need to go or develop my skills when I'm sitting there going like, but do you know what I feel? Welcome back to Beyond Culture, where the podcast that attempts to bridge the gap between culture and politics. I'm your host, Ivan. Today's episode is a discussion with Fawad Karimian, a provincial youth outreach worker at Central Neighborhood House. We discuss his unconventional path from graduating with a business degree to mentoring and supporting youths. We also discuss the hardships of supporting youths in the midst of COVID-19 and the importance of mentorship programs. Furthermore, we explore how to remove the stigma around mental health in our communities and much more. Take a listen. Welcome back to Beyond Culture. Today's a special episode, you know, we have one of the, like as, as you guys must have heard before, Abel and I talk a bit about um, the programs that have helped us, you know, that gave us the opportunities to enter, let's say, the corporate world and etc. And there's many people that work in those programs that I feel like don't get a lot of don't get highlighted as much as I think they should be highlighted. So today we got a special guest in the building. Get introduce yourself. So my name is Fad Karimian. I'm a provincial youth outreach worker housed at Central Neighborhood House. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to kind of get into your kind of the mindset of you even getting into this type of work because the type of work you do is very. I feel like you have to be a certain level of selfless to do what you do because you're really you're spending your days and whatever serving others like would you say that is what is required sometimes of you yeah absolutely um i think the mindset for me was it was deep for me growing up i never had someone there that i could just go to and kind of share ideas and things that i wanted to do and learn from mm-hmm. you know what i mean i had to learn a lot of that stuff um on my own and i'm gonna be honest with you i am not from the neighborhoods i work in mm-hmm. um I did, I did, I dealt with poverty at a later age because from the age of baby to the age of 13, I was spoiled with love and I had my mother and my father. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, you know, I was out there mm-hmm. holding a gun and doing this and that. Mm-hmm. No, I had people in my life that experienced that and I watched what happened to them. Mm-hmm. And when I saw what happened to them, it was until I went to university because I actually graduated university with a business degree. Yeah. And uh, the crazy part is this. Five years later, I didn't think I would be where I am because mm-hmm. when I first went into business, it was all about making sure um, mom is good and I can I want to get my mom a house and I want to put my mom in a house. My mom and dad separated before I went to university, so it was a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but while I was in uni, I ended up creating my own program there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was called the Odette High School Leadership Initiative. And when I was doing that, one of my brethren, Danny, um, I used to always tell him about these ideas and he's from Ghana and he always supported me in, in my endeavors and making sure I keep doing that. It was that point. Um, proud to say that that program hit a thousand youth in like three years. We got mm-hmm. into like 15 schools. We were in Detroit. Like it was growing and it was just about giving youth the tools and resources needed to become interdependent. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but when you talked about the mindset. Yeah. So when you're in university, I was in university. I had a lot of stress, a lot of anxieties. I never, I went to a new city and no one knew me. I was trying to develop myself. But at some point I realized one thing, 
materialism and substance is not what drives me. Mm-hmm. It's just helping others. Mm-hmm. Like if I like to be honest with you, and this is crazy to bring it up now. We were just talking about this with a bell. This moment right here is a blessing for me. Mm-hmm. Right? Because five years ago I met Abel mm-hmm. and I saw the king he was. Mm-hmm. And I saw what he was about to do. Mm-hmm. And now I'm here on his podcast, your guys' podcast together, mm-hmm. and I'm speaking. That's evolution. Yeah. So when you say mindset, that's what it was. I never had that. I never mm-hmm. had a guy who just come up and be like, yo, you're good. Mm-hmm. Or oh, you're hungry. Or oh, bro, here's a let me slap you some change. Mm-hmm. We'll grab a little meal, come back, let's just talk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's what it was for me when it came to the mindset. Like, I just never had someone like that. And mm-hmm. I thought if you can be there for someone and they know that you will be there. Because mm-hmm. honestly, in this work, there's a lot of use. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're not you're not a you're not a hero. There's no mm-hmm. hero business in this business because it's a team. You're a team of people supporting people. Mm-hmm. But that mindset for me, that's what it was. It was the fact that you know I never had that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's funny. Like when we well, when they saw you yesterday, <laughs> and then after we kept walking, Prince told me, "Yeah, man, you're gonna meet this guy yesterday." All I gotta say, man. He's just positive vibes. Positive. <laughs> and he said, but he just say, I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean positive vibes? He's like, you'll see, man, positive vibes. Always. And I, and I think about that, like, I feel like people who come from, like, even though you would, like, you would say up to 13, like, you, you were spoiled and whatever, but you ex- did experience poverty in the, in the latter parts yeah. and, you know, hardships and whatever. I feel like those people, a lot of them end up having the most positive vibes ever because mm-hmm. of what they went through. Like, I feel like, is it, would you say that's your, your, yeah, I, I at some point I just went through so much that I was like, hold on a sec. My brothers, so I'll tell you this. If it wasn't for the people that are behind me right now, I still wouldn't be able to do it under. Mm-hmm. Because when when with the things that I experienced, I lost like three, four people in the span of like two months. My parents were separated. I went from living in a house to my mother losing her house to living in an apartment under my name you know what i mean when i was living in windsor i was living in an apartment that when i was living on my own i had no furniture mm-hmm. i had no bed i was sleeping on a blanket and then my peoples who were in windsor figured that all out and they brought me things mm-hmm. but it was always like that i was the kid that went to business school in the same suit for the first six months mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. and, and those things for me when you say positive vibes bro like we have to I am a guy who will always call people and tell them that they're winning and that's okay for you to be feeling like you're winning with me right now mm-hmm. because it's an issue that we have as people. Mm-hmm. As people, I call my youth kings and queens and I learned that from my big brothers. Um, but when he called me a king, I was confused. Yeah. So when I say I have to be positive all the time, it's because I am okay calling you and saying, yo, for this next five minutes, I want you to be arrogant about your achievements. Mm-hmm. Because it's so weird that we as close people don't big each other up enough. Mm-hmm. Rather than asking, why is Abel eating good right now? Why am I not asking you, Abel, how can I eat good with you? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I have to be positive energy because especially in our communities, the narrative is negative. Yeah, It's not a king or queen. We don't get looked at as royalty. We get looked at as thugs and baby mothers. Mm-hmm. But those same baby mothers and thugs have a story. They're mm-hmm. kings and queens. Yeah. Don't get it twisted. 
Mm-hmm. Right, so that positive vibe stick for sure, man. Always has to be positive. Yeah. Can't be negative unless it's a negative situation <laughs> yeah. that they're dealing with. Then I'll be negative with you. But it has to be positive. Yeah, it has yeah. to be. We're, there's too much negativity out there. We're in the middle of a pandemic, 100%. and and the and the system piece that we've been fighting for has been a pandemic. So let's we are, we're in two pandemics at once. Yeah, you know what I mean. We don't need too much negativity anymore. Yeah, yeah. And uh, talk to us about just your your. Uh, path from going to like attending university thinking you're going to go in in business and then uh just going the line of work you're doing now into how is that uh transition and what caused the transition as well i mean again so i graduated sorry before i graduated university i ended up working for cbre so the largest commercial real estate firm in the world one of the largest ones okay um i was working salary for the first year and then after the next year end up becoming sales and you could sell commercial property mm-hmm. while i was doing that and i'm going to be honest with you i watched someone make almost two hundred thousand dollars but every time they got off the phone they were miserable every time they left they were sad they were angry so i'm sitting there going like yo i'm killing myself to make millions of dollars mm-hmm. but i'm not happy i'm not, i don't want to end up like this guy you know what i mean and the more i thought about it I am so thankful for the business side because mm-hmm. it has helped me tremendously with our young kings and queens. Mm-hmm. But where the transition came was, okay, so now I've been doing this for about nine, 10 months and now I'm going home. And I'm going to be honest with you. I was going home, tearing up every night. There was about a month straight where I went back to my, I had no family out there. All my family's out here. So I'm all on my own. I didn't really have too many people looking out for me because remember, I always played that role to be there for someone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it became very hard for me to reach out to people, which is something I'm overcoming still. And I'm trying to teach my kids to do too. So I'm learning while teaching. But when you say the transition now, nah, nine months into it, I ended up calling my sister and I was like, you know, I'm miserable. Bro. Like, I feel like my heart's not being used and only my mind is. Mm-hmm. And, I'm a, and I'm a Scorpio. So I'm very passionate mm-hmm. and my heart has to be used. If my heart's not in it, I can't be in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what it was. I sat there. I I swear on my life. I sat there. I asked her, I'm like, no job openings in Toronto? She's like, no. I'm like, all right. So I realized at that point, I was doing my program. And I'm like, I think I could do you. I want to do youth work. Like, this is something that I want to be a part of. And then I went home. I Googled youth leadership. That's it. Mm-hmm. First thing that came up was community capacity builder at the Young Street Mission. Mm-hmm. And, I st- and my sister at the time was working there. So I was like, oh, why not? Let's apply. Let's see what it, what it is. It'll be completely different. Got the interview, got the opportunity, and when I started there, that's like it solidified. Like yeah. the first, like three weeks, it solidified. This was the right decision. Like this was for me. Like again, like imagine you're a nobody. Mm-hmm. I don't have a blue check mark on Instagram. I'm not the coolest guy out here. I don't have drip designer. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have that. Mm-hmm. But imagine at three o'clock, at least. Eight to ten kids are lining up at your door just to say hi. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't get to go home with two hundred k, but I get to go home with ten new brothers and sisters that I get to see grow. Mm-hmm. And that's where that transition came. And then when I got here, I was doing that for about two, three years. And I'm gonna be honest with you, to cut to my provincial yao role, there was a lot of groundwork. So I'm gonna name them now: Brother Jermaine, Brother Jason, Brother Spence, Brother Omar, and Brother Leary. These guys put me on in ways that not a lot of people took the time that still do. And why I bring that up a part of my transition is because I had to go from a guy who's running programming to a guy who's in community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but I just openly admitted to you that I'm not from Regent Park. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to be effective in this community, I'm going to need to learn from people who are from this community. And when they sat down, imagine talking to your elders and they're looking at you and telling you stories. And literally two weeks from now, I experienced that exact same story he just said live. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, one day there'll be a youth that comes up and he will deal with this. Two weeks later, yo, big bro, I just dealt with this. And that's where I just knew. Like, that's where it was. You have a foundation behind you. You have mm-hmm. people behind you that care about you. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's where I just realized that this field is what I want to be. Mm-hmm. At least my heart does. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And it's funny, like, when you talk about how, like, at the end of the day, you have these youths lining up at your door to talk to you. Because that's the same thing. Like, when we were at uh, at Pathways, like, we after school, especially if you have a, a worker that you that you really like, that's right. bro, it's, you look forward to seeing them afterwards. Like, yeah, you some people might be just lining up for their tickets or whatever, but a lot of people are lining up because they actually want to talk. Because mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what it, I guess you built, you, you built, you built this type of trust and you know, like, those people especially once you find the one that you trust like you know they want the best for you and in a sense like even though there may be an adult like i feel like you guys are boys or whether it's a woman or, or a man like you mm-hmm. guys are yeah those, those are your peoples in a sense 100 percent. because yeah. it, and it's not like there's so many people out there so again you just brought up pathway i just told you jermaine and jason i yeah. saw that i saw people lining up it's not just me mm-hmm. it's everybody there's a lot every every person you got to understand, a youth worker, one youth worker won't be able to save the world. But one youth worker can change the life of one youth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's many youth workers doing beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And there's many youth workers that know a lot of youth that line up at their doors. But for me, it wasn't the number. For me, it was just the fact that, yo, you're right. With every youth, you have a different relationship. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So one day, I'm a brother. Mm-hmm. One day, I'm a dad. Mm-hmm. One day, I'm a sister. I, Depending on what hat you have to wear, you have to wear. But... It takes a while, though, to get there. Yeah, and I 100%. think that's where it's important for people to recognize that, yo, in our community, we get told not to trust people outside and in. Mm-hmm. So when someone comes in that close to support someone, you have to be very careful 100%. and really understand these young people, mm-hmm. right? 100%. And even I think it, it helped that a lot of the people that work in our communities, like, they look like us because it's much easier. It's much easier to, to start trusting them uh, quicker. But it's also, it's I think it's, it also, it's it's amazing when you have like like people that don't look like the majority, like the majority of the ethnicity in the community, and they come in and you're like, yo, they want as much for me as the next guy that used to work in the community. So it's not even not even a racial thing. Like the racial barrier is completely broken when it comes to helping the youth. Like doesn't matter. Like if you coming from a your your background technically where you come from doesn't doesn't like change the fact that you can still help this youth that comes from a completely different background than you, whether it's your racial background or your economic background or whatever. But it's important. You're yeah. right. But it's very important because yeah. it's what, like you're, you're remember they, what examples do they see every day? Mm-hmm. Let's be real. What examples do young people see on social media every day? So there's a reason why we have an alarming rate of rappers. Yeah. Mm. We always watch rap. Right. But how often and like, be honest with me, how often does Bay Street come to the hood? How often is it exposed? Mm-hmm. You ever sit in the hood and just someone come up to you and be like, oh, you want to be an investment banker? That is not that's not what gets said. But if you expose, because a lot of people also say like, oh, we got to be careful 
in who we bring in 100% in terms of you need to make your vet and do what you need to do. Yeah. But the concepts need to come in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it needs to happen. Because again now, what if this kid's life changes because he, he found investment banking? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that whole piece of what you're saying is, but we don't see that example enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? We don't see those examples enough. What, again, what are examples that they see every day? They, do, they see people that look like them getting killed. They're seeing people that look like them getting racially profiled. They're seeing people that look like them go through systemic barriers. Mm-hmm. Right? Very hard to stand there and not have someone that looks like me tell me to change and get to where I need to go or develop my skills when I'm sitting there going like, but do you know what I feel? Mm-hmm. and there have been moments where i felt that way certain times when i'm speaking because you know I, like i told you earlier I'm, I'm iranian i'm persian right when i speak sometimes i recognize maybe you know what i might not be the right person to teach this concept mm-hmm. let me keep my lane to what it is let me find someone who might be better suited to have this conversation mm-hmm. right and then where your where your role ends up going there is you end up becoming like a conduit you're the person now bringing youth and bridging the outside world to the community but in a in a manner that they want, because I also don't like the fact that like we separate, right? So what I mean by that is like, um, what I mean by that is like, you're asking these kids to come learn accounting, mm. but some of these kids might not be at that level to learn everything in accounting just yet. Mm-hmm. So we need to take time with them. We got to show them the grassroots way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So those are some of the pieces there. Yeah. We'll take a break here and we'll be right back. Yeah, so um, could you walk us through your day? Like, what's your, like, uh, what's a typical day like for you as a day youth work? Typical day. Or if, if you, <laughs> you have a typical day. Um, a typical day. So, okay, so as a provincial youth outreach worker, real quick, I'll just tell you that our job is to basically connect with the most vulnerable population or refer them to services that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, my typical day, it could be, for example, I'll come into the I'll come into the community. I'll spend a good about two three hours just in the community, walking around and just checking in with a lot of the kings and queens that I know. Um, I'll sit down with them. I'll try to understand what's going on in the community. How are they feeling? Um, get it. You got to get an understanding of what's going on before you can even talk to them, right? Mm-hmm. So, spending a couple of hours, I just kick up, real talk, just vibe, bring up conversations. One of the things that I like to do is I like to read the news a lot. I like to read different sources a lot so that I can bring certain conversations to see what would come out. You know what I mean? So we'll be sitting there and I'll ask a question like, for example, so you guys saw what happened the other day in the news, like how do you feel about it? Mm-hmm. Just to start a conversation. Then from there you go into like, oh, so what have you been doing in the community? Right? I mean, after doing that, then you, you if there's events happening, I'll be at those. I'll go and check out those events and support. Um, I'll connect with different stakeholders in the community just to see what the vibes are again. Talk to them and see what are they hearing. Maybe they're hearing something that I need to know. I need, I'm hearing something that they need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and also learning. I would throw in there. Every day I learn. Mm-hmm. So as much as I teach these kings and queens, I learn from them too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spend about at least 30 minutes to an hour a day just debriefing with different brothers in the community or different brothers that I work with that I've learned from on a certain situation. And then you'll realistically, you might end up grabbing a little meal or a, a, a Timmy's ice cap and just mm-hmm. sitting down and then it can change. So it's very variable now. So like that would be like an unstructured day, but then there could be a day where um, let's say, for example, I'm doing all that in the middle of all that a, a crisis occurs. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm re- if I'm involved with the youth, then I will respond to that crisis, mm-hmm. um, and that could be at any time. So the thing is, is that you have to understand there is no typical day. Yeah. If you're really doing the work, your phone doesn't really turn off. You're paid for whatever hours you're paid for, but those aren't your work hours. Like really, like if you're really that invested. Um, but the one thing I will tell you for sure is, is what needs to be more typical in our days is more self-care. And I'm horrible at that. And my, I was literally just with my brother, Jermaine, yesterday. He was telling me, he's like, out of our friend group, you're the worst self-care and that worries me because you're the most out there all day. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's so true. But again, remember when I told you guys earlier that I didn't get to play with my heart. So now I'm letting my heart lead. Yeah. And I'm not letting my mind lead. Mm-hmm. That's a problem because mm-hmm. I do need to be good. Because if I'm not good, then I'm a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling these kids to deal with their ish and go out there and be the best version of themselves when mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. But typical day again, that's what it is for me. I'm out there in different neighborhoods, different communities because of people, because of people who co sign the work and just checking in, mm-hmm. doing what I need to do. So if a kid says to me, Father, I just I need help with my resume. I right, go we'll pull up. Let's sit down 15 minutes. I'll help you make a resume. Mm-hmm. Yo, Father, do you have jobs available? I might not. Yo, yo, let me just send a couple emails for you so that you, all right, I know when they answer, I'll get right back to you. Yo, Father, I need a lawyer. So it's things like that. So it's all, like it could be momentary. Like in a, anything can change. Yeah. Right. And so that's what I, that would say I would say a typical day. Mm-hmm. And how is, how mm-hmm. has the pandemic changed your this year? Um, what you do like on a day-to-day basis like have you seen a big change in terms of what you do because of the pandemic or or not at all so obviously because like like um because of stage one mm-hmm. uh we like no one was allowed outside yeah right so during stage one it, be, it posed a huge challenge um to do our work and our, our a lot of our work and a lot of youth workers and a lot of um, different people were working from home mm-hmm. um I personally, uh, that I hate that. Like that is that is hard because it limits you from having real conversations, mm-hmm. like over the phone. I can't do a real thought checkup with a you on the phone. Like I need to talk to you in person because I need to feel what you're saying. Like I need to hear you. So stage one played it, made it, it changed the game. Everything went online. I'm starting. I'm doing zooms. I didn't even know what Zoom was, and now I'm learning how to like. Oh, you could raise your hand and. Dude, this is cool. Mm-hmm. So then stage one, that kind of showed me like, yo, how do, what do we need? Mm-hmm. So I went back into my hat and I said, yo, in my head, again, I'm learning from the right people. I see certain things myself that I bring to the table that I've experienced that I see. And I think it's just love right now. There's a lot of bad being shown. So I ended up creating this, um, this group called this, It Takes a Village. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so funny because that concept my big bro taught me because, again, it takes a village to build a village. It doesn't take one. A mm-hmm. village changes a village. So I created It Takes a Village. We had about, let's say, 30 different people in this room. Let's say 15 to 20 youth and then 10 different adults. Different experiences, different age groups, different skin colors, different backgrounds, different histories, corporate, uh, social services, whatever you could think. And the concept of this was was just a space to come together during the pandemic to share. Mm-hmm. and be heard so it changed the game that stage one changed the game because a lot of the stuff you had to quickly figure out now while everything's still happening now remember everyone's stuck inside now so they're very bored mm-hmm. right so you're not worried about oh, yeah, yeah. What if, how do we flood their time with good mm-hmm. but not stuff that also won't benefit them so we ended up doing that and we did about 
four or five sessions, no, four sessions online and it got consistent, consistent traction of like 30 people and kids were sharing and that's so much inside of them. And while that was happening, remember stage one was happening, then all the, mm-hmm. you know, all the stuff that's happening in the States and everything that's happening here. Like then you have systemic racism, everything's happening at once. So for remember for a good month, these kids stopped talking. Yeah. They didn't have the people that they go to. And not just me. Again, I just told you. Whoever these kids go to. Mm-hmm. For a good month, they couldn't see like that. Right? So it posed a big challenge. But then, for me personally, once stage two came, I was out here. I've been out here since stage yeah. two, man. Have my mask. I have six bottles of hand sanitizer in the car. Every time someone dabs you, you go right back. <laughs> put it on. Clean your thing, man. Making sure they have masks. You have a mask, you're good. Okay, cool. Social distance. But it had to happen. Like, mm-hmm. when I came back, it was... I felt relieved because, again, you need to be here. Like, you need to be on the ground, too. And Corona changed the game. Like, I've never heard online before so much in my life since the last six months. At some point, I'm pretty sure every agency went on Zoom. And no one knew Zoom before this. Mm -hmm. At least I did, personally. Mm -hmm. So that, I would say, was the big changes. But what you do realize that I'll share with you is, one thing I did realize is... As much as programming is great, it's that relationship. Mm-hmm. Again, because I just told you for about a month, some people lost who they could talk to every day. So now you have a lot of young people holding stuff in. And I just also told you that but online, no one wants to do that. Remember, no face, no case, no nothing, all that. Mm-hmm. That's real. That's not a joke. Some people have problems with that. Mm-hmm. So how do you do the work? So if a kid's now hurt during stage one, pandemic one, and I'm not allowed outside, but that's my guy. Mm-hmm. That's my guy. I've been knowing him, but he's hurt now. What do I do? Legally, I can't do anything. I can't go outside. Right? So it did change a lot because when you wanted to be there, you couldn't be there. And for, for some of us, that kills us because it's like, you're not the all and end all. I am no way in shape or form the all and end all because I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. But you build some form of relationship. And as much as people say to have boundaries, that's very hard for me. Because yeah. I told you why I came into this. It was, just, it was my heart. Mm-hmm. So if you have a spot in my heart, you know what I mean? Like you brought, like if I see Prince, I might not see Prince for five more years. Mm-hmm. But I promise you in five years, if I see Prince, the love is the exact mm-hmm. same. Mm-hmm. And that's what was the biggest change. I think. It was all of a sudden, yo, everyone's gone. Right? Mm-hmm. And I wanted because you talked a bit before about the self care, and I think that's that's a key conversation to have because because for me the way I view self care is it's like a lot of it is mental health. Like how are you dealing with your mental health? How are you, and it's only recently, like even with the boys, with the prince and all <laughs> them, that we recently we, we talk about yo how you how you feeling like really how you feel not like yo it's one of those. It's not that anymore. It's like more it goes it goes a bit deeper. And I think it just started now, but. Talk a bit about that. Like in our in the community, we don't. I don't feel like we take care of our mental health as much as we should. Yeah, for sure. Uh, mental health, self care is definitely more than mental health for mm-hmm. sure. Because your body and your mind is yeah. your soul, all that. Um, mental health in our communities for sure. It you understand. It it's for me personally. Like mental health has always been there. Um, but grew, me growing up and when I went to high school, like. Mental health wasn't talked about the way it's talked about today. Mm-hmm. So this new, con- in a sense, imagine within our communities, a whole new concept came up, which is mental health. But it was there. Mm-hmm. But it's a new concept. We don't know about it like that because we don't talk about it. The language wasn't there all the time. 
You did not hear people say they had mental health issues in high school like 20 years ago. And if you did, it was like, a, for me, at least my experience with it was like one or two. But, and if it was an issue where you needed supports, like you would have to find those supports. But now I'm recognizing even for, like I said to you earlier, I battle with self-care. Our communities battle with self-care. But again, how do you want that to happen? You can't, it's hard for you as a stranger to walk up to someone and tell them that I think you have mental health issues. Let me help you figure that out. Mm-hmm. At some point, it's you have to own that you have something too. And yeah. it might be hard. But again, how do you do that cold? Yeah. You know what I mean? And when you're young, when you hear I have mental health challenges, it's like that stereotype of what does that mean? Am I broken? Mm-hmm. But you're not. We all are humans. We hurt. Mm-hmm. And the, actually, the crazy thing is, is even for, for me, like I, my brothers, my older brothers that taught me no. I'm very emotional. Mm. Like, I'll cry about anything, to be mm. honest with you. We have a beautiful love movie, and I'm out there crying. Mm. But where I'm trying to get at is I'm still trying to figure out my self-care. Mm-hmm. So when someone comes to me as a grown adult and says, yo, bro, make sure your mind is good. It stresses me out at first. I'm not going to lie. It stresses me out. Because in my head, you're, I feel like you're saying I'm broken. So if I'm telling you that, then don't you think a lot of these youth might feel that way? Yeah. And I'm a grown adult that works in this field because you're not worried. Now, if everyone in the, in the community finds out that, oh, father is broken, like, is he gone? Like, what do we do? So now imagine you're a young person. Remember, I told you what the narrative is already. Yeah. This is what our narrative is. And now you want to add on that I might have mental health issues. And it's a serious issue. We need supports. We need to actually figure out ways to open up because what ends up happening is, which what happened to me was, I had a like I stressed out to the point when I was 20 years old in university and I collapsed. I went to the hospital. I was in the CCU for three days. So when you're saying mental health in our communities, yeah, we need more young princes and young princesses to know that it's okay to cry. And to be honest with you, as as young kings, that's even a bigger message because in our communities, you got to understand having emotions. It sometimes make you look like you're weak. Not a lot of people would tell that. But it does. People say that. That's a narrative. Oh, he's just emotional. Mm-hmm. But mind you, you don't know that that same kid that's emotional just walked by a shooting and then saw two shootings and then his brother died. And the... mm-hmm. But he's emotional. Yeah. But he's from the hood, right? He's got to be ah, ah, ah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But that's a problem. Because if a young person feels like they can't open up like that and it goes down a certain path, it could lead to a result that we never wanted. So when I'm saying bring mental health in our communities, I'm not saying don't. I'm saying we need it. I'm saying we need to do better, though. We need to do better in really talking to our community members and talking to our people as in a manner where they'll understand. Because you got to understand, information to culture clash is huge, bro. So in this culture, mental health might be okay. But in my culture, mental health is not okay. And we haven't accepted that. So now you're telling me to battle mental health and my culture. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then also you got to bring in, like, who are these young people around all the time and who are they learning from, right? Because my definition of mental health is significantly different than my mother's. Mm-hmm. Or I might know my mother. I might think my mother has mental health issues. My mother might not think she has anything. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, so not only are we battling with the messaging around it, because, again... How is it being translated to us? Is it being translated in a manner where 
we can understand that it's okay. We're getting the we need we this is healthy because every king and queen that I know that went and got help with their mental health, I promise you, I wouldn't lie to you, have all told me it's been a blessing. <laughs> Till the day I actually got up and I went to go speak to someone about some of the stuff that I was experiencing in my work, and I realized it when you let it out, it just feels a world of a difference. Mm-hmm. But again, how often do we do that? Mm-hmm. And I ask you guys this, because again, you guys are talking about your friends and who you're around. How often do we as a group of friends sit down and say, yo, my bro, are you good? Mm-hmm. So even from the little, from, from a young, youngin, we're not taught to do that. We're not taught to sit there and be like, yo, Abel, right? You look sad, bro. Talk to me. Mm-hmm. Yo, you're good. Yo, Abel, chill, man. Come on. We're good. You're good, man. You're good. You're good. Yeah, yeah. But what are you telling him? Mm-hmm. So then now when he goes home, for example, now he's really hurt. He's not comfortable calling his own dogs. So how do you expect people to call people that they don't know when they won't call their own people to talk? 100%. And that's my yeah. thing about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's very important. It's yeah. It needs to be addressed 100%. And I'm telling you that again as a person that is still learning how to self-care. Because yeah. it's so important to unload. Yeah. Like I've only heard about one guy who's ever told me, like that's part of the community, who ever told me he has a therapist. Nobody has ever, ever told me they have a therapist. But and that's what I'm saying to you though. Yeah. Nobody will do that. And it's so funny because I will bring you to people who will tell you they have. Because that's who I I'm learning from. Remember, I just told you two days ago, my own brother told me out there that my self-care is the worst in the group. He's not saying that you're weak, you're 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 horrible at youth work. You're you're a terrible person. He's saying, my bro, you're so great and you're doing good things. Can you please make sure you're good so that you can do this for the rest of your life? But again, I just told you that. As friends, as young friends, how often do we really do that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So for sure, man, I it's an interesting thing yeah. for me. Because again, you're, you're dealing with culture clash. And then yeah. after culture, you had to bring hood clash into it because yes. even there's a third layer right yeah. there's so many different layers to it but mm-hmm. it is yes it's a very real thing i will i i am saying this to you live right now i am a person that takes a lot of my stuff home and i deal with it and i ball it up i've come to realize that i need to do better and i need to talk to people and i have been talking to people i'm still not perfect mm-hmm. i'm still not doing it weekly i'm getting there yeah. but that's just my insecurity and my trust and i have to find the right people that i will i will at least understand me when i speak you know mm-hmm. but it is very important and I can't be a hypocrite because I will be the guy to tell every king or queen that I work with that the moment you need some form of support where you need to talk to someone, if it's not me, find that person you trust and call them. Because just letting it out is 50%. Right? Yeah. No, definitely. I think, you know, as you said, you know, just removing that stigma begins with, you know, just our interpersonal relationships. You know, if you're, you have a friend, you have a, a sibling, just someone close to you, you know, just letting them know that it's okay to talk about your mental health, your your anxieties and just everything you're going through, that's okay too, you know. That makes it easier for them to get professional help if need be, you know. Because uh it's it's hard to take that step too when you haven't taken the first step of just talking to people around you and just letting them know what you're going through. And if the people around you are not reacting correctly and telling you that it's fine to 
you know, it's okay to to talk about these issues. It's okay to to express yourself. It's okay to uh, express your your anxieties. Your if you you feel depressed, it's okay to to say that. You know, if that first step is kind of being is is being stifled, you know, it's harder to to go to the next step. Where if you need counseling, it's much harder to go there if you know that people around me have like they they view this thing that is mental health negatively you know so like i think it's really important as you said just in our communities just you know being there for one another and just you know removing that stigma and starting there you know and you you know ivan as you said like it's it's rare to hear like in our communities hurt rare to hear about people who said say i have a therapist i go see someone and you know and in some other communities it's like it's the standard, you know. You you, you look, you you watch some shows on Netflix. You see some some white kids saying, "Oh yeah, I was at my therapist. I'm coming back." You know, it's like <laughs> yep. you know, and and as you said, there's the like there's the cultural shock there that you know that uh, people go through, and like it begins with us, you know, just um, removing that stigma. You know, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Because I mean. I'll show you why I think it's so important that elders um, to these young kings and queens do talk. So when you said mental health, I was with like six of the youth the other day and we're chilling there, all kings. And uh, we were just at some point, some form of the word anxiety came up. I don't remember exactly how, but anxiety came up. And I looked at them and I said, you guys are funny. I said, did you know that every single day when I come into this neighbor, into these neighborhoods to work with you guys, I have anxiety and I, and I stress every kid, the six youth, these beautiful kings sat there and said, you have anxiety. I looked at them and I said, yo, bro, I don't know about, do you see Iron Man or something that I didn't know about? I'm a human. Mm-hmm. And I told them my anxiety wasn't coming to the neighborhood. My anxiety was. Every single day, I have to connect with a young person. And if these young people don't know you, yo, listen, young people, the one thing I give you credit for is you definitely tell the truth <laughs> in terms of how you feel about someone. And that anxiety of, oh my God, I'm a guy coming in. Remember, I'm an optically from five years ago, I've been an outsider. Yeah. So I'm an outsider. Who is this guy? So there's all these different, oh, did he, you know what I mean? Now people are starting to see you and, yo, did you hear about this? Okay. And then, so then you start, now you're getting even more anxious because now you're like, everyone knows you. So now, like, if I go and try to climb stairs and fall down, the whole hood's going to know. You know what I mean? But it's real. And when you sit there and tell them that it's okay to, for example, with my, with my, with the boys especially, I tell them, it is okay to cry. It does not make you any less of nothing. And give you an example, we end up going to this, um, gun violence uh, protest a couple of years ago and I took one of my youth there and it was big this one was heavy because this was before when I was even more like emotional like just didn't care about my self-care at all and we're going there and he lost someone to gun violence um but you know again you're from the hood right so ah strong so he comes and he's but I'm seeing something remember I'm emotional so I feel like I could tell a little bit more of emotional cues and I'm seeing something. In so I go grab him for a second. I put my arm around him and I say, yo, bro, can we sit down for a second? He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yo, listen, for the last like 20 minutes, I've been watching you and it just seems like you want to cry. 
And I'm just letting you know right now, I'm holding on to you. If this is the time for you to cry, my bro, let it out. That's all I said. For the next five minutes, this kid cried a lot. And no one saw this. But how he felt after that, he would never have known if he didn't let it out. And it became more comforting for him. And after yeah. that, he was good. You know what I mean? A lot of us just have it bottled up. We're just itching for someone to say, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And we need to start, as kings and queens, start doing that. That's why I don't understand. If we're going to stand up and fight with each other, then we also have to lift each other when we're hurting. But it might not be specifically Abel coming to Fod and helping him heal. Maybe Abel knows someone that can help me heal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and uh, I want to get into this uh, next topic. Too, yeah, because it's a because me and one of my boys like we've been debating a lot about like especially with everything going around the world. And he's like, "Yo, we have a lot of internal problems in the community in terms of black and black crime is and gun violence and everything." And he's like, "Yo, we need to deal with that first before we talk about the systematic issues." But I'm just like, "Fam, it's not the systematic issues. Is a lot of time what it is what leads to this, right? You have for me." At its core, I think it's just a wealth gap there. And that's where when you have a wealth gap there and you have poverty, that's when you have crime, et cetera. So you're not going to fix anything if you can't fix, you don't give kids an economic opportunity and et cetera, right? And he was just like, yo, we, you have all these programs in place, but some kids still choose to take that path. Like, I wanted to get your take on that. Like, what do you think about it? So it's interesting because I agree. I think for... In a, within the last four years, like four or five years, for me at least, from my experience, is there's a huge shift. And when you brought up wealth gap, um, how am I going to answer a question is with a question. Let me ask you a question. Would you take $1,000 a day or $1,000 in two weeks? There's no other variable you're going to know. What would you pick? A day. A day. You pick 1000 a day, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now I'm going to add a variable to you. So you're a part of a family of six siblings. For example, you're the oldest, okay? Mm-hmm. Or your whole life, all you saw was that image, that lifestyle, okay? Then they end up losing one of your siblings, okay? So now mm-hmm. I just lost one of my siblings. But you're also the provider of this family. Don't get it twisted. Mm-hmm. It's a single-parent household. Now I'm going to ask you that question again. Are you taking a 1,000 a day or a 1,000 every two weeks? 1,000 a day. Okay. So where I'm coming back to it is is money. Teach these kids how to make money. Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of legit ways to make money and good money. Right? But that's a big deal. For the longest time, we've seen the unequalness when it comes to resources and tools. So, yes, there's wonderful programs happening all the time. There's beautiful camps. Every agency is doing right now, right now during the pandemic, such beautiful camps. Such a blessing for that. Let them do the beautiful, perfect. Because remember, every narrative of a young person is relevant right now when we're talking about the system this for me it's it's weird you're kind of like telling remember you're on social you're in so you're in tch you get government assistance if you make a certain amount of money you lose government assistance but but is that money that you're now making sustainable mm-hmm. right and the other thing to think about is is does our communities generate wealth or does it recycle wealth? and what i mean by that is like you guys know cash flow so as much as cash is coming out sorry going out is it coming into or no yeah. Right? Because again now, 
if we're not exposing our our young people to these concepts. So, for example, we talk about the school system. The school system doesn't talk about budgeting and balance sheets and credit cards and and what a credit score is. Go ask half the community if they know what a credit score is if they're young. Mm -hmm. But they should know what that is. Because in our country, a credit score is very important Mm -hmm. for you to get financial supports to be able to have a home or this and that. Right? But... Again, you're talking about money, man. Right now, we're talking about we're losing to money. Mm. They want to make money to do what they need to do, but they also need that love. And when I say money, I don't want you to think money in a dirty way because I feel like sometimes what ends up happening is, is people look at it as greed. That's not what I'm saying right now. I'm saying right now, if me and Abel ate patties for, let's say, seven years of my life, and that's all we ate. We went to the same Sam store on the corner. We ate a patty together every day. We went and did our thing. And now all of a sudden, Abel is eating filet mignon steaks, and I'm still eating patties. Remember, again, we don't have the conversation of, yo, Abel, how did you eat steak? Yeah. We go back into that envy and we're looking, oh, yo, how did this guy make it up? Mm-hmm. Right? And how often, there's so many, like, I love what you guys are doing with your podcast because even like my big bro, he put he puts me on this podcast and uh, he, he, he texted to me. He's like, show the youth. Right? And for example, one of the podcasts was about... Um, uh, starting your or becoming a truck driver and then owning your own fleet of trucks and then being a part of that game. And now I had one of my boys actually go become certified to be a truck driver, right? But these concepts aren't talked about. Like, look, look at the what you said, the wealth gap. Do you think that word wealth gap is talked about a lot? No. So do you think in our communities we talk about supply and demand and the economy and how the economy really runs and how it's supposed to work and how? We're in, a, in a, we're in a society where, correct me if I'm wrong, if you don't have money, it's very hard to live. Yeah. And remember, what city are we in? One of the most expensive cities to live. Exactly. Right? So you have right now in this country, like what I, if I saw an article was, I think about 80,000 to like 100K and you're still not living lavish. Mm-hmm. Do you know how much people get paid? The average people, especially social services, so don't worry about that. So now imagine people just working part-time jobs or full-time jobs and working retail and stuff. How are they living? You know what I mean? And then you've seen with our, with our community, we've seen development, right? Like we've seen the new buildings, you know what I mean? You see all that. But again now, you're still seeing old versus new, but then you now have market rent in the community. So now you're starting to see market rent and then, you know, our, our TCH and then our, our co-ops clash. Gentrification. Ah, right? Which is so real. So, for example, you like you said, gentrification, right? You said that. So, mm-hmm. Southside, you guys been there. Mm-hmm. So, there's a subway. What else is there? Uh, shoppers. Shoppers. Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons. What else? There's a sushi spot opening. There's a sushi spot opening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's an enterprise. Yeah. Enterprise. Okay. Are any of those mom and pop shops? Okay, so why isn't there local businesses there? Because remember, that now generates wealth in the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then we go back to the, I'm assuming you guys know. Anna Wendy's. Anna Wendy's, exactly. I know, it's still another corporation. corporation, right? Cool, you have a one, two people working there. You got to understand, certain young people can't work in public. Because remember, if you're trying to help them get out of their situation, you need to build to that. That's not something you can just put someone in the public for. Safety is a risk. But go look into those places and see how many of those people are from community. 
Because the thing is, is, and I've said this before, and actually when we were in MTO, we, we talked to, we talked about this with Abel and them. If you go to Forest Hills, Tim Hortons, if you go to Forest Hills, Tim Hortons, do you see people from Forest Hill working in their Tim Hortons? I don't know. I've never been to. Thank you. Right. Rosedale. Any community where you would say it's more upper scale, higher income. Are you seeing residences working in their Timmies? Then why is it that in Regent Park or in our neighborhoods that you have to go and work at a Tim Hortons yeah. as your only job available? Because mm-hmm. remember, that's available anyways. If Tim Hortons was removed from that location and moved down the street, I could still apply there. I'll know about Timmies. I know about Timmies. And I'm not saying that working at those places is bad. What I'm just saying is, is that the pool of things that are available to our communities is, at a, is, is a much lower fraction than certain communities. Mm-hmm. So when this kid in Rosedale gets a dream about being a CEO, this kid's dreaming about getting a job at Tim Hortons. That's a problem. His dream's supposed to be bigger than that. He's supposed to work at Tibby's to get the fundamental skill sets needed for his resume, though. Mm-hmm. Right? McDonald's. Shout out McDonald's, right? Because they hire every 15-year-old, right? Because yeah. they have to build the skills. That's good. I'm not saying that's bad. But I'm saying, why is it that I get to, I have to, I'm dreaming and watching my dad, I get to be a CEO. And this guy's dream is, yo, I hope I get that one job at Tibby's for now, just to make sure I get eat, bro. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge gap there. But again, in our country, money talks. So will we see money sustainably? Really, how do you generate more wealth? You're talking about entrepreneurship at an alarming rate right now, yet in our communities, we have amazing people who are very talented, who are easily can be entrepreneurs, yet how often do we do that? How Mm -hmm. often do we talk about entrepreneurship? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? How often is, again, remember, because of culture, we already, everyone in the community knows they can be a doctor, right? Everyone in our cultures, they love, you're a doctor, you're good. (laughs) But are you kidding? Plumbers make 100 bands. Uh, trades make 100 bands. Uh, if you're talking about money, right? All these different things are there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are they accessible? You know what I mean? Is the community building itself? And I think that's where it'll lead to next. And I, and I say that too is, is, for me, it's my goal to build my kings and queens to run it, mm-hmm. to do what they need to do. You know what I mean? It's not about you coming in and, because and, it's rude, right? Like imagine you coming to my backyard and you telling me how to change. Mm-hmm. that's not what we're supposed to do yeah. but we're coming into your back and say yo how do we support you and build you so that you have what you need to do what you want to do right and the, the fact that even when you brought up like the fact that they that you look at these other communities their 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 avenues are different jobs they can do it's not it's not uh, limited to the tim hortons on the block. thank it's, you there's more than that and the first time i noticed that was when i got my job at mto mto and then they sent me to the law firm and i walked into the law firm and there was three of us that were that were like the young the young the, the young bucks there right that's right so me and one girl like we're, we're people from the community she got it from her school i got it from mto mm-hmm. but there was a one girl that her dad her dad like works at the law firm like he's already there so i remember when we came in we're like whoa like damn we're here whatever and for the other the, the other girl like i remember like when that the woman that took care of us came and she's like okay yeah you you putting at the other girl you already know what to do you've been here before you just set up your account or whatever and you realize like yo damn like even being here like there is not a like we're not supposed to be quote-unquote like you're not really let's say this is not really something you see in yourself like being working at a law firm at this age but her but to that other girl like it's normal and there's nothing against that other no. girl but it's just that 
the opportunities there are different. Mm-hmm. And even I remember like where I worked at the law firm, I was like, all right, yo, because it's automatic, man. When you go grow into a white dominant state, you always look for another brother. I look for one black lawyer out of like, I don't think 20, 25 yeah. major lawyers there. And in terms of like the staff, remember, there's like, there's only a few of us. Every time we see each other, you know, you already know, like, it's like, yo, what up, whatever. Especially the black, the only black lawyer that was there took me in his office. Like, we were just talking. He's like, yo, where are you planning on going to school? What is your plan? Whatever. He's talking to me. He gave me, like, three books to read. I didn't read the books, but but still. But still. <laughs> he really. I read you you are a good he, man. He was, put, he, was putting, he was putting me on, like, giving me knowledge. like, And he gave me his courage. like, yo, whenever you need something. Whenever you need something, you make sure you, you call me and I got you. And I think that solidarity there is like, he also recognized like, damn, like they have a black kid here. Like I did not expect for me to be here, but to have him here. That's right. It's like, yeah. and I think about it like without MTO, I would have never, ever experienced that. Way. And yeah. And just let's talk about MTO because I don't know if our listeners know what it is, but <laughs> could you, could you just talk about what MTO is? Yeah. So when I was a part of MTO, MTO was called Moving Towards Opportunity, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yes. Um, and it was a program designed to bring um, jobs, sorry, careers that you wouldn't really see in our neighborhoods and connecting young people to be placed within these jobs. So they ended up doing, like you do all the skills workshops, the resume building, the job readiness stuff, and then you actually get placed in, like you said, a law firm or a hospital mm-hmm. or an accounting firm. These places that really our communities wouldn't have access to without it. Yeah, and uh, both Ivan and I participated in MTO. I, you worked in a law firm. I worked in an investment uh, firm. And my sister to work. I have at, a lawyer and an investor. Perfect. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> my sister, she worked at the Deloitte. Also, I think that's also investment. Beautiful. Deloitte and yeah. top yeah. four accounting firm in the world. Nice. Yeah, and it's you know, and as we were talking just before starting to record this podcast we're seeing how just like in my experience that was like the best that was the best experience i had in high school because it just opened up so many doors for me mm-hmm. opportunity was and career was you know like the connections the networking I'm, i i did there you know um just carried me forward you know i like i got uh from that internship i got other internships in later years and later summers that i don't imagine getting if i didn't make i didn't have those those connections that i did have those people who would uh vouch for me when when you you're applying at new at other employers you know and uh you know, like I, putting it on, I remember putting it on my resume, the law firm, I'm like, gee, <laughs> <laughs> you shine on them. That's what I'm talking about. And you feel me, nice. Fam. You feel yeah. nice, for sure. Like, Yo, you can't deny shine. me, That's fam. right. What? Yeah, exactly. You were at a law yeah, firm. Own that. Are you crazy? Own that. Exactly. Like, just someone who's, like, at the time, were, what, 17, 18? Yeah. You know, imagine just having, a like, a someone who's just a youth from region, 18 17 years old who has experience working in a law firm an investment firm and an accounting firm whatever you know those are life-changing opportunities and just i wanted to ask you you know like you've been with you've worked with so many youths like for us we're like uh, we've seen it but from our perspective right we've like i've only know a, a, a few people who who are were in those programs you know but you've worked with many youths like what's the what's that uh influence how does that influence their like their life or their careers going forward 
like, like in the, your experience like those opportunities those opportunities oh yes. i mean it's interesting because i'll tell you right away one i would say it's from the ones that i've personally still had the opportunity to connect with every person that had that opportunity mm-hmm. loved their opportunity because Again, it showed you, it exposes them to mm-hmm. something that they don't see all the time. Mm-hmm. But then what it also does is prepare them. Mm-hmm. Because even within our cohort, if you remember, like certain things, as much as it was a great opportunity, it's also challenging, right? Mm-hmm. So again, you're walking into a corporate office. Corporate has a, its own culture, yeah. right? So now imagine I'm walking in there. I come from a certain background, whatever. I'm coming into this corporate culture. And then someone starts talking to me about my sailing boats. Mm-hmm. I've never been on a boat in my life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like that that lack of understanding was also something that people realized. But opportunity-wise, oh my God, every person that went and did these jobs, they loved it. Mm-hmm. They loved it. Because again, it exposes them. But I'm gonna I I I, I want to say one thing to that though. You two kings took advantage of an opportunity. You have to understand that there's a lot of kings and queens out there that need more build-up to that. It's not as simple as saying go to MTO. You know what I mean? Because some of us, some of us are experiencing so much traumatic challenges and barriers that, or we're in a lifestyle, or we're in a situation where we're our minds aren't allowing us to even think that this could be an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to ask you this: So you worked at an investment bank, and you worked at a law firm. Mm-hmm. At some point, what did you want to be? Like in like just me growing as a kid. up. Well, yeah. What growing did you want to be as a kid? Uh, a director. A director. A director. Yeah. Okay. About earlier as a kid. As a kid, growing up. A pilot. A pilot. Yeah. You see what I mean? So I want you to imagine now, you at you were you had an answer for me, mm-hmm. but I want you to imagine now me asking someone that and they don't have an answer. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, within our own community, I'm trying to show you that people can take advantage of these opportunities, but it has to be done in certain ways. They have to build up to it. Right, because it would be a devastating thing for me to send you to that law firm, and then you experience something that you should not have experienced in there. And now you never want to be a lawyer either. Eh? Mm-hmm. But again, it goes back to my point of what I love about what you're what you're talking about is is, and you brought it up earlier. So I want you to even tell them that you you went and experienced that program first, and you did what? I put my other mats like Apple Prince, Prince. and yeah, anybody else that went. You put the man's on. You're like, yeah. yo, this was sick. Yeah. I got to go put these guys on, right? Yeah. I respect you for that. Because you saw something valuable and you're like, yo, I'm telling you guys, go to this. We need to do that more. And that goes back to what I'm saying is, is encouraging each other to think that way and be that way. Because, you know what I mean? Like, we're quick to say, yo, let's go sit down and, and I'm going to be real. Let's go sit down and smoke up and chill. What you did is something that doesn't happen all the time. Where you've gotten a gotten opportunity, mm-hmm. you you had a good experience with it. You're like, yo, hold on a sec. My guys need to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. That's you building yourself as a leader while building other leaders. And that's mm-hmm. that's what a leader does, mm-hmm. right? So kudos to you for doing that. But that's that's the big thing. Like we need more of that. We need more kings and queens like you standing out there in your own neighborhood and saying, yo, trust me, this might be an opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. And if it's not. Cool, but what's next? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, like, one of the closing topics we could talk about, I wanted to get your take on the streaming program because that's what, like, can. So we learned recently that the Ford government said that now, like, I think when you're in grade nine or 10, you don't have to go towards academic or applied. So 
usually when you go when you get into high school they're like so if you're going into academic you're on a path towards going to university mm-hmm. if you're going towards applied then you're going to go to college so and it's the type of thing where they you really they, they start talking to you about it like when you're in grade eight so mm-hmm. they start looking at your grade just like okay they hard they recommend it so hard like they say it's it's optional or whatever but the way they recommend it like you it's better for you to do apply and do good than to go to academic and do bad. So they push you towards one side. And for a lot of us, even me, they said, yo, go apply. But a, lo- a lot of us were like, yo, hell no, I'm not going to apply. I know where I want to go. I want to go, I want to go to university. And I ended up going, I could, I end up going academic. And I, but I do have friends that did the apply route because not only like they, they felt the pressure coming from the, from the, the counselor, the school counselor, they felt that pressure to go into apply, but they also felt that pressure from like suffers because for some parents they don't even know the school system so if they hear a counselor say you should go apply like your kid should go apply they'll send them apply because they don't know but for me i didn't even tell my dukes anyways but i think i think regardless i think regardless you would have said my my mom is is one of those people she would say no 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 you're going to the hardest thing thing possible like so yes but i do have friends like for me like they're like they're like damn like they really set me up because once i got into once i got into high school like and then I took academic at the academic. My choices were limited to one thing. The people who took acad, the, the, the I mean, the, for people who took a plan, but the people who took academic, you get into grade top. You're like, okay, do I want to go college or I want to go university? You have a choice. But for a lot of kids, that choice was taken away, and 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 in a way, it kind it kind of set them up. And a lot and for the most of the kids that were pushed towards a plan all kids from the community. Oh, I think you were one of the few guys. You didn't. They didn't tell you to go apply, right? No, I had yeah. degrees. Yeah, he was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he was one of the few guys. It was only a few guys that came there. Like, yeah, academic. But most of us, Princeton, all all of us were like, "Yo, go up." But we, but none of us went applied mm-hmm. except for like a, one, two guys. And they're and they're like cheese about it. But now that they see that they took that out, they're like. You know, finally, because it kind of, in a way, discriminated against certain youth, and, and it left them without no choice. I agree. I agree. I, I agree completely because you've seen it. What do you mean? Like, I, you ever seen The Wire? Uh, no, I heard of it. You heard about The Wire? Okay. In The Wire, they had a certain classroom. They had a classroom in The Wire where, and then again, in the class, it was all the identified mm. guys in the classroom, right? But what I'm trying to get at with that is you're so right. So for me, when I end up going and running a boys group and I find out that that's, I'm going to be honest with you, 80 to 90% of my boys group is black boys mm-hmm. who with us in our boys group do presentations. You know, they, 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 they create ideas, safety, all these things. But then that moment comes up and, and you said grade eight. I have, I think they have it answered before that. Now mm-hmm. I yeah. think now they're like, Oh, sh- by grade six, yeah, this guy's probably going to go apply. Mm-hmm. And it, there's even lower than that. When I went to high school, I'll be honest with you right now. When I went to high school, because I had some form of behavioral issues in the sense of like, I just didn't like people yelling at me. Mm-hmm. So when my teachers yelled at me, I went through a lot of that stuff. So when it came to like, in, when I when I got into grade nine, my grades were all in grade eight were like 60s, 70s. I'm not going to sit here and tell you any lies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 60, 70, I want 250. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, thank you, God, for the curve. Thank you, the curve. But no. So I'm doing that. And then I go to high school. Because my math mark was like a 50 or something like that. And I guess, again, I was, I went to, I also stood out in my school because I was one of the only people in my school of personal color. So when I go there now, in grade nine, they put me in locally developed math. 
Mm-hmm. So that's below applied. So there's locally uh, developed, then applied, then academic. Yeah, never heard of both. Exactly. So yeah. they put me locally developed math. I was sitting in a classroom in grade nine doing things like three times three. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And when you're put into that situation when it's not even a great thing, it's more of a behavior thing, that stigma is there. So yeah, when I'm sitting there in eight, 80 to 90% of my boys group is young black kings from our neighborhoods, that something doesn't make sense to me. because. Just because right now their grades might be this and that. Remember, universities and colleges look at what year? Uh, 12 and half a grade 11. So how are you writing these kids off at grade 8? Mm-hmm. And the other thing you have to think about too is is it goes, it's a long, because you see right now, they're having a long debate about opening schools, right? Because, yeah. you know, there's so much layers to it. It's not mm-hmm. it's something new we're dealing with, right? So, mm-hmm. but if you really think about it too, it's how often do people know our kids from our neighborhood? So if you're walking into a classroom, will will you be will you be known known for a young person from community that let's say for example deals with shootings all the time, crime, high crime all the time, this and that all the time, bad stereotypes, negative imagery, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. You're a kid walking to school as that already, mm-hmm. and now you're walking into your classroom, and now I'm telling you in your own classroom that you need to go to another classroom because this classroom's not good enough for you. So now you're going early. So what the? Why am I in school? You're writing me off from grade. You just said, you guys just told me that in grade 12 is when they start looking at your grades. How are you writing off this kid in grade nine? Maybe in grade nine, he can meet someone. Yep. He can talk to someone. She can learn from someone. She can talk to someone. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, I, it, I can't, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. Because I turned around. Because remember, I just told you I was in locally developed math. So that means in grade 10, I had to take applied math just to get into grade 11 university math. Yeah, mm-hmm. Right? And I did it. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting... And what was it? My grade 11 math, like a 78. I'd never seen that in math before in my life. Yeah. Grade 12, I had straight A's, except advanced functions. I had a 49 after doing my exam. I begged that teacher. I said, yo, listen, the summer's my days. Please don't oh, take no, my summer no, away. Give me that 1% because I don't need this class. Yeah, Just give yeah. me that 1%, I'm out. But no one thought that. My my sister at the time was the only one that believed in my my brain when I was in high school. So it was yeah. it was something hard for me. People didn't People don't believe in that. But again... Look at the message you're giving people, man. Mm-hmm. I'm writing you off, bro. Mm-hmm. And and when you do that, and then you're like, oh, well, kids don't go to school anymore. Why would I go to a place that's supposed to empower me to reach a career that tells me I'm never going to get to a career? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's a that's a big one right now. And I, actually, right now, I'm interested to see what's going to happen. Yeah, because me for me, I'm sitting there going like, yo, school's about to go online. How like I I want to I want to do a survey and find out how much re- how much you're really learning online. Yeah, because I was just I was talking to a teacher that goes that goes to this church. He's like, I cannot teach these kids math online. He's a math teacher. He's yeah. like, I cannot. They're not listening. They can't. They're not going to register anything. But so remember, you're competing. Yeah, these kids live online, mm-hmm. but not to learn. <laughs> exactly. Like literally, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they live online. Like I have, like you know what I mean. Like I see them all the time on TikTok, this Snapchat, this Instagram, this. So they're, they're you know what I mean. They see things. They're good. They're good. But when it comes to school, gotta remember, you cannot treat every kid from our neighborhood as the same kid. And we keep doing that. So Abel had good grades. So maybe Abel just needs you. Abel, keep doing you, bro. But his peer might need someone to sit down and show him, bro. But then now you're going to hear the other side of it. Oh, but do we have the resources to provide every kid a one-on-one? See what I'm saying? So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a high-level conversation that 
both sides are going to end up having their their pieces on it. But for me, as a community person, I'm just sitting there going like, yo, this is a setup. Yeah. Like, this is actually a setup. I'm telling this kid he's a king or a queen, and he or she can go and be successful and rah, rah, rah. Then they're coming to school for you to sit there and be like, yo, bro, because you were suspended three times, you're an identified kid. Let me put you in a classroom. I was suspended for a week in school. And I'm here inspiring kids, talking to young kings and queens and trying to get them to reach their path. So if mm-hmm. I could if I could be suspended for seven days and still do that, then please, like, what are you telling me? Exactly. Put it this way. One of my youth in grade six, he got put in, no, grade seven, he got put into a classroom. Okay? And this class was like four or five people, again, identified, whatever that term identified means. I'm not going to quote it to you because I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right? But to me, identify can mean many things. He was only in that classroom because he wasn't paying attention in class. Mm. Right? To go and find out. I found out a year later he can't read the board. He doesn't have, he needs glasses. He's literally blind without glasses. So you had someone there for two years looking at your board like this. How do you not know that? But it's hard. Remember, I have 30 kids in my class. How do you want me to know every kid? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But you got to at least understand a little bit about the neighborhood these kids are coming from because yeah. that might be a reason why they're on edge. Mm-hmm. So what I mean, like, I personally, now, if I walk, if, 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 if I hear about a shooting, I, oh, yo, yeah. It's like a grabbing a coffee to me now. Yeah. Yo, did you hear there was a shooting? Yeah, fine. I just had a double-double at Timmy's too. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing now. But yeah. you don't know that when you're walking in a class. I might not know that Abel's walking in, that walking into my classroom as a teacher that Abel's friend got stabbed mm-hmm. and he's hurt. And now he's miserable all day in class and, and no one understands why, but because he's angry, we write him off because yeah. there's too many of them. But it's hard, right? That, I think that's where it is. But 100%, 100%, I think, it's, I think, that's, I think that's better. I yeah. personally think that's better. I think it gives, it gives more hope. I think it will inspire. And I think we need to stop also doing this like college versus university thing and start, start speaking about it in a manner of... Um, these are the types of jobs that you will get and you could succeed in them in college. Mm-hmm. And, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I went to university, I graduated with a bachelor's degree, uh, BCom, uh, honors in BCom, whatever, and I'm making less than like 40K. Mm-hmm. So no, university didn't help me get a financially paying job. Yeah, You feel me? Mm-hmm. But to our kids, we sit there and go, college, Lord and University. Are you? I know a guy right now. He. I just told you. He went to co- not even college. He did an apprenticeship. He's making 150 G's. Yeah. Good. But we don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? From the culture side in our families, you have to be a doctor, a lawyer, all right. And then the other flip side of it, you can't be a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be a lawyer. So mom and dad want you to be a lawyer or a doctor. The school tells you you can't be a lawyer or a doctor. Who do you listen to? Yeah. What's mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So that's the way I would look at it. No. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. I think this is a great place to end. It was. It's been a pleasure having you on, for You know. <laughs> yeah. Just. Uh. Thank you for the work you're doing around the community. It's really uplifting. Just looking from afar, you know, like we're we're for most of the year we're away from Toronto because we're in school, and uh, but we we see you and we hear stories about you in the community. So it's it's always it's always great to. Uh, to have people like you in the community. No, thank you guys. I thank I, you for coming. I, yeah, I thank you. I thank and again, I when you again when you when you DM'd me and you asked, it was 
a blessing, not even just to be a part of the thing. And I told you this earlier, again, five years ago, I saw it though. And now five years later, I'm on your guys' podcast. That's evolution to me. You know what I mean? And it's an honor because sometimes when you're doing this work, it's like what my big brothers tell me all the time is, is I just completed my first cohort. Mm-hmm. So I had kids from grade eight all the way now to university students. I just had that five years. Wow. And yo, whoo, it is hard. It is a blessing to get a call yeah. saying, yo, I graduated. Yo, I'm in school. Yo, I'm here. You know what I mean? So for me to see you kings do that and see what you've been doing with your podcast, like I just want to big you up too because, again, you were people that took advantage of opportunities. And I know for a fact if I sit down with you individually, you've been through your own. Right. But the fact that you're still here trying to inspire and now you get to be the ones to go out there and tell the, the kings and queens under you the same messaging that you looked up to, that you love. So thank you for for having me a part of that. And and just before I go again, I want to give a shout out to all the people that sit down and teach me because there's no way in shape or form I could be here even talking to you guys if it wasn't for those people that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And there's also a, a few others, too. But if this is not an individual thing, this is not a hero thing. If anyone ever tells you. Like, we need neighborhood heroes. We don't. Mm-hmm. We need a village. Yeah. A village of people who just want to work together to help others. You know what I mean? But I appreciate you guys, man. This was great. No this was this, great. This was fun. This, was, this fun. was so much fun. Thank you. This was Beyond Culture. Goodbye and good night. Good night. <laughs>